Uh, chapter 17. Uh, it's a joy to be bringing God's word to you on a Lord's Day evening. Pastor uh, Collins has been doing so much of the preaching uh, recently on uh, our evening service, uh, and I've been so grateful for his ministry. Uh, but it is a joy to step in and uh, have a chance to preach one of the sermons on the book uh, or on the uh, ministry of Elijah. First Kings 17. Our verses will run from verse 17 down through verse 24. Well, after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. His illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. She said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. He said to her, Give me your son. He took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. Cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. The Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again. And he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. The sense is reading in God's word. Let's seek his face once again. Uh, Lord, our God, we thank you for every word which you have given us in Holy Scripture. We thank you for the account of this mighty work which you did so long ago, bringing the son of this poor woman to life. Lord, in so doing, showing your resurrection power, confirming the truth of every word which you speak. Lord, our God, bless this for our soul's benefit this evening. Each and every person here, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. Well, Elijah's uh, ministry has not gone probably in quite the way that we would have expected. I dare say that Elijah's ministry did not go in quite the way that he would have expected uh, either. 
Elijah, you may recall, began his prophetic ministry in a kind of blaze of fire. He came from the hinterlands of Israel, east of the Jordan River. We had no clue about his heritage or upbringing, but suddenly he appeared on the scene at Samaria and confronted none other than the king of Israel, wicked King Ahab, about his sin, and he announced famine upon the whole land. It seemed that the Lord in this time of extraordinary wickedness, has raised up a standard-bearer in the prophet Elijah. One who would confront wickedness and who would be jealous for the name of the Lord. But having raised up such a prophet, things turn in a direction that we might not expect. Immediately he is commanded to go away by the Lord. To go to a remote brook called Cherish, and there, not to be fed by humans, but to be fed by ravens. And so, he goes at the command of the Lord till that time when the brook dries up. Well, the Lord speaks to him again, and he thinks, perhaps, now I'm going to once again be called into the center of action, but this time he's driven even further away a city called Zarephath, the region of Tyre and Sidon, where Jezebel was from, outside the land of Israel. There he is called to the home, not of anyone particularly important, but of a widow, of her only son, a poor widow, in a destitute home. And yet there, the Lord was pleased to use Elijah. The Lord, uh, through Elijah's ministry, confirms that woman's faith, and the woman indeed knows the constant supply of the Lord in her home. And so it seems, perhaps, that Elijah's ministry at Zarephath is done. He's ready once again to be called into the center of action, but not so quick. Not so quick. Instead, he is called to stay. In Zarephath, for a period of time, his ministry is not done. There, in the passage that we have before us today, the Lord is going to bring out a number of lessons uh, through the events that will take place in this woman's house. That's where I want us to see uh, in Elijah's ministry here in this event, three different lessons that are going to be drawn out today in this faraway city of Zarephath. The three lessons are simply these. First of all, the strangeness of providence. Secondly, the effectiveness of believing prayer. And thirdly, the immensity of resurrection power. The strangeness of providence, the effectiveness of believing prayer, and then lastly, the immensity of resurrection power. Well, the first thing is the strangeness of providence. We have just remarked how it seems that the Lord's providence is strange with regard to the prophet Elijah's ministry. Why called to the brook Cherith? Why then called to the place of Zarephath? 
If the Lord seems providence, if the Lord's providence seems strange to Elijah, it appears even stranger yet to this widow. For uh, last week in our passage, uh, we saw what was an amazing triumph of this woman's faith. That Elijah had come to this widow in Zarephath. She was on her last meal, and yet Elijah called by the command of the Lord that the woman would feed him first. She, in obedience to the Lord, did exactly as Elijah said. She fed Elijah first, then made cakes for herself and for her son. And then the Lord fulfilled a promise that came to her, an extraordinary promise it was, that is, that a jar of flour would not be spent, the jug of oil would not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. It seemed that this, Lord, that this woman was down to her last meal, but down to her last meal she was not. Every morning there would be a fresh supply for all of her needs. And you can imagine the joy that this new convert had as she every morning would wake up to find that the Lord's provision had satisfied her once again and that the prophet in her home was being cared for, that she and her son were being cared for, and it seemed now that the Lord finally, or that the Lord was going to be faithful to all of her needs. What an extraordinary thing it is. Then what a drastic turn the events take. In verses 15 and 16, and all the joy that came in the Lord's perpetual supply, we come into suddenly and surprisingly this news in verse 17. That after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. Not only did the son become ill, but his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. Suddenly, without any forewarning, without any explanation, this woman's son was dead. Put yourself in her shoes for a moment. You can hardly imagine uh, this woman's grief. Some of you have lost children or grandchildren. It is such a time of just incredible sorrow. So it would have been for this woman, she had already lost her husband. It appears that she has no other children at all, only one. She's a believer in the God of Israel, far away from Israel. She has no other spiritual companions. This son, her only son, was her companion in life. Also was going to be her security in old age. Who else would provide for her? She would grow old, but her son. And it was her son who would ensure her inheritance into the future. Would her husband's name now be lost? Suddenly, she wakes up finds this boy lifeless. This really happened to a real woman. And we're left asking, are we not? Why? We want to say, God, this was a new convert. He seems so faithful. Why crush her in this way? 
She was thriving under blessing from your hand. She was looking to you for her, for her daily supply. She had learned the lesson of faith, what faith is. So why this? Well, what answer can we give? Well, we have to say at the outset, first of all, that this was the work of God. It wasn't like the Lord took his hands off the reins of the universe and it was simply uh, something that uh, Satan and Satan alone did. You know, many people have a kind of warped picture of the world in which the, the Lord and Satan are sort of co-equal with one another, a kind of Star Wars view of the, of the universe, good versus evil, battling it out to a bitter end. No, that's not quite the way. The Bible clearly teaches that God is sovereign. Nothing at all happens apart from His will. Uh, the events of this world are not simply the result of Mother Nature or of blind luck or of, uh, or of fate. But rather, it is God who brings, yes, even affliction into our lives. And Elijah himself is going to recognize this a, a little bit later. Verse 20, O Lord my God, why have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? So it was the Lord who was in control. But we can also say that the Lord didn't bring this affliction to the widow as punishment for a particular sin in her in her life, it appears that she's a true believer. We know that for true believers, all of our sins are atoned for. The Lord doesn't punish us. He sometimes chastises us as a loving, heavenly Father, but doesn't punish us. And yet, that's the thing that she seems to be saying. Uh, verse 18 uh, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my uh, son. Now, dear friends, when uh, affliction does come, it is a good thing to examine our hearts. We ought always to examine our hearts. It should lead to humility. But such suffering is not God punishing His, be uh, his people. Do you remember the story of, of John chapter 9? Uh, that man uh, born blind. Who sinned? Was it this man or was it his parents that he was uh, born blind? Remember Jesus' uh, response, John chapter uh, 9, it was in these words, that it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so again, we're left asking, why then did God bring this affliction upon this widow? And the answer is, we simply don't know. The Lord knows, but that's just the point, that God has purposes that are, that are far above ours. And it is one of God's purposes to bring sharp, sharp afflictions upon us even while we are treading the path of duty. Even when we are joyful and filled with faith in the Lord and in His goodness, sometimes the Lord brings affliction to us. 
Beloved, we read in the New Testament, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. It's true in the Old Testament. Certainly true in the New Testament period as well. But there is sometimes a strangeness to the Lord's providence. The God who blesses us is the same God who will sometimes baffle us by the strangeness of His ways. It doesn't mean that He is no longer good or that we can no longer trust Him, as this widow will see. God moves in a mysterious way, His wonders to perform. He plants His footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep and unfathomable minds of never-failing skill treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Even behind a frowning providence, that same hymn reminds us, he hides a smiling face. So that's the strangeness of providence. But secondly, there's another lesson for us in this this passage, and that is uh, the effectiveness of believing prayer. The effectiveness of believing prayer. Um, this woman seems utterly shocked by what happened. And she responds in that way to her son's death. Verse 18. She suddenly blurts out to Elijah, oh, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to, bring, uh, to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my, of my son. It's no model response. Listen to how A.W. Pink characterizes it. He says, uh, when God's chastening hand is laid upon us, how often we revel instead of meekly submitting to it. Instead of humbling ourselves beneath God's mighty hand and begging Him to show wherefore He is contending with us, we are far readier to blame some other person as being the cause of our trouble. And that's what it seems that this woman does received such abundant mercies from the hand of the Lord, but then suddenly when trouble comes, she loses her composure. She blurts out with anger and bitterness. We say it's not a model response. I think it is the response often that even true believers give times of of trial. I can remember very distinctly when I was in seminary that... uh, my teacher for pastoral theology, Dr. Jusley, told us to expect sometimes this very thing, that sometimes even mature, godly, sound people who love the Lord and trust Him and faced with a sudden, unexpected, terrible tragedy, sometimes will say things and react in ways that perhaps we might not expect. He gave some examples from his own ministry. And I think that's the case here. It's not a model response. It's not what she should have done. But it's what she did. It was her only son. And he's dead. And he's dead. She's filled with him. Well, notice how Elijah then reacts. And I think it's beautiful bit of pastoral wisdom. It's a kind of soft answer that turns away wrath. He doesn't get defensive. She blamed him, after all. Not here to stick up for himself. 
That's not his point. But rather, he looks surely with compassion upon this woman who had just said this. And he says to her, Give me your son. Give me uh, your son. You, you sense that Elijah deeply felt the widow's pain, and, and so he takes this woman's dead son now and goes the only place where he really knows to go, which is to take his trouble to God. What an important lesson that is, dear friends, when we are afflicted, and that affliction even comes to us from the hand of God, where else do you have to turn but to go to God himself? That's where you turn. So Elijah takes the body of this boy and he uh, goes into the upper room uh, where he lodged, where his bedroom was, and he lays the son on on his own bed. And then he begins, we're told, to cry out to the Lord. You cry out to the Lord. And again, what a model of ministry. Ralph Davis says, do you ever pray like this? Do you place yourself in the position of other people and plead their anguish before God for them? Uh, In such situations, we may think we need to formulate a response to hazard an explanation to the person in distress. And you notice that Elijah doesn't do any of that, but rather, he doesn't have an answer, but he does have a throne that he can approach. So he goes to God in prayer. What a prayer it is that he prays. We see it in verses 20 and 21. You can just point out a number of aspects of this prayer. First of all, you'll notice that Elijah appeals to his covenant relationship to God. Verse 21, or excuse me, verse 20. He he cries to the Lord and he says, what words? O Lord, my God. And again in verse 21, O Lord, my God. He knows this, as this God is, is His God. But then he traces this trial back to God. He says, Have you also brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I, I sojourn by killing her son? He realizes that this is from the hand of the Lord. So he cries to the Lord. But then he also prays with fervency. He prays with fervency. How does he pray? We're told he he cries to the Lord. And then having cried to the Lord, he expresses his fervency physically with his own body. Uh, We're told that he, he, as it were, stretches himself out upon the child as he prays for him. It's a fervent prayer. Not only does he pray fervently, he prays perseveringly as well. I'm told he stretches himself upon the child not once, not even twice, three different times. He, he cries to God, stretching himself upon the child. He, he cries and then cries some more and does not giving up cry, crying. Uh, to the Lord, like that persistent widow who comes back again and again to that unjust judge, Elijah continues to cry. 
And then notice as well about his prayer that he then prays big petitions. Let this child's life come into him again. Now you understand that at this point, at least in the recorded history that we have in the Old Testament, that no single person yet had ever been brought from death to life. Not a one. There was no example of it. No no previous thought that this was even something that could be done, but Elijah knew. His view of God was such that Elijah knew that the Lord could do this if he so chose. It wasn't too big of a request. Thou art coming to a king, we sing, large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such that none can ever ask too much. It was the kind of God that Elijah had. That was the kind of prayer that he offered. Oh, what a prayer. Time of calamity. Doesn't simply make excuses or wallow in his own situation, but rather he turns to the Lord. He knows something of crying out to the Lord when, when difficulty comes, when calamity comes, when trial comes. You don't know what the answers are and you don't know where to turn. You turn to the Lord. The kind of prayer that Elijah had. It was a believing prayer. And you want to know something of the secret of Elijah's ministry. It was certainly in this that Elijah was a praying man. We read in James that it is the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man that avails uh, much. And there we read that it was during his ministry that he prayed and there wasn't rain. And then he prayed again and that there was rain. And, and so Elijah, that's what James tells us about Elijah's ministry. But that's not the only time that he prayed. Here's another example of fervent prayer that availed much. The Lord answered it greatly. You pray like this. Oh, young people, this is, this is a sign of a real life with God. You pray. You say, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian young person. You pray. That's a sign that we have a relationship with that even when nobody else is around and no other ears are hearing you, and you face a, a difficult exam at school, or you face a, a friendship that is being broken, or you face an, another situation in your life, and you, you don't know what to do, and you don't know what to say, and you're tempted to complain and cry, do you pray? Do you take it to the prayer? It's a God who hears prayer, the believing prayers of His people. Elijah should say. You know, I don't think it's just Elijah who has faith in this passage. We already talked about the woman's, the woman's response. We said, yeah, it, she lost her composure when it happened. But, you know, I think she also had something of true faith. You say, Pastor, where do you see this? Well, I actually see it in the New Testament. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, a whole catalog of men and women of faith it gives us a whole example of different, different individuals. And then in a list, at one point, at the end of Hebrews, I think it's Hebrews 11 and verse uh, 35, I believe. We're told there that through faith, women received their dead raised to life again. 
women, plural, receive their dead, raised to life. Again, who are these women? Well, one of them is one during Elisha's ministry, Shunammite woman. It's going to receive her, her dead son back to life. Who's the other woman? There is none other in the Old Testament. This widow at Zarephath. So apparently, the writer to Hebrews saw something there in this woman. Calls Elijah still a man of God. She seems to have been a woman of true faith that we found in the incident just before this. She was willing to hand her dead son over to Elijah. Perhaps each of these are signs even of a little bit of faith that she had. Know how the Lord was pleased to bless that. What great things the Lord did. In the faith of Elijah, and yes, even of this, of this poor woman. We have a lesson to learn about the effectiveness of believing prayer. Let's move on thirdly and finally now in our account. And we have a final lesson to learn. Uh, the lesson is this. It is the immensity of resurrection power. The immensity of resurrection power. Elijah has prayed this remarkable prayer. And then we're told, verse 22, indeed, and the Lord, what statement this is, and the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. He heard the voice of the servant. And the life of the child came into him again. He revived. Elijah then took the child, brought him down from the upper chamber into the house, and delivered him to his mother, just like Jesus did to that widow of Nain. Do you remember her? Handed her dead son back to her. He was now living, no longer a dead son, (laughs) a living son back to her. And Elijah says, see, your son lives. And the woman says, I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. Wow, what a demonstration of the Lord's of power. We've seen the Lord's power already in 1 Kings 17, haven't we? He's the one who uh, stops the rain from falling. He's the one who feeds his servant by ravens at a brook. He's the one who gives an endless supply of flour and of oil to a starving widow. But now the power of our Lord is such. He even goes to the other side of that great and last enemy, which is death. Snatches someone from death. Brings that individual to life again. What power this Lord has. What tremendous power this God has. Do we not know the same thing about the Lord? Because is not this resurrection story like really all of the stories of resurrection that we find in Scripture? Just go down the list. The widow of Nain, Lazarus at his grave, Shunammite woman, Eutychus after the resurrection of Christ. Aren't all these pointers 
really the tremendous resurrection power that the Lord has in the raising of his very own son from the grave. Bringing the son of God, God incarnate, who lived for that life of righteousness, who died for our sins, who brought him back from the grave unto life eternal, and who brought him back never to die again, but to inaugurate this this kingdom of power and of life, eternal life that is to be found in Him. Can you not, as it were, hear the voice of our Savior even standing behind this passage when it is our Savior who says, I am He, Revelation 1.18, I am He who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. So what extraordinary news this is for for you and for me, that the God in whom we trust is the one who is not only able to reach on the other side of death and bring people to life, but the one who has absolutely assured us that because by His power He brought His own Son from death to life, that everyone who knows the Lord Jesus Christ will also be partakers of His resurrection power, each and every one of us. That to know Him is to experience this resurrection power in our own lives. It not only gives us life in the midst of the death of this world, but assures that on that final day when the bodies of all men and women shall be raised, at the voice of the Son of God, that our bodies shall be raised unto endless glory and life in His presence. That's what this assures us. That the God who is able to do it this poor widow's son is the God who will do it for each and every one whom he saves through Jesus Christ. So the resurrection that we find here, this resurrection power gives us hope, gives us assurance. I, I, I love the woman's response at the end of this. She says to Elijah, now I know, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. The son was raised. Now she knows that every word of God is true. Is it not the same for you and for me? The son was raised. The Lord Jesus really, truly died on the cross. That tomb was really, truly empty on the third day. He's raised. Because he was raised, we can say with that woman, now I know that every word of the living God is true. He raised Jesus from the dead. There my faith rests in that. See, to believe is not to have a blind leap of faith in the things that could not possibly be true. But rather, it is to rest our faith on the God who has acted in history in the raising of His own Son. If He raised His own Son. Every word which He speaks is true. True for us, true for all. That we believe it. That we believe it. Might we live by it, even as this woman surely did.
remainder of his days. The God who sends strange providences. The God who calls for believing prayer. The God who ultimately exercises in our lives resurrection power. That we look to him. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this uh, glorious truth as we learn of your character, Lord, in uh, the life of this woman from Zarephath, poor widow in a faraway land. Yet, O oh Lord, even in the heart of Baal's country, you show yourself to be God, the living God. You are the God who is unchanged. Same yesterday, today, and forever. Indeed, the God who delights to bring life to those who are dead. Lord, give us believing hearts, we pray. Help us when we face strange providences, Lord, to trust in your holy purposes. To know that they are wise and good and true. Lord, to know that you are the God who brings life from the dead. Oh, help us in this, we pray. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. We're going to sing now, uh, sing from our Psalter hymnals, Psalm, Psalm 16. Uh, On the day of Pentecost, uh, Peter quoted from this psalm and applied it to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a psalm which ultimately speaks about the resurrection of uh, the Son of God. His resurrection uh, power. Uh, You will not... Uh, For you will not, the last stanza, forsake my soul unto the grave, nor will you leave your Holy One to see the tombs decay. Let's rejoice in this resurrection power, but it's also a hymn. It's also a psalm that is about God's providence to us. The lot 